Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. So welcome to the show today. Today I have Florian Kemmerich on the show, who is the managing partner of Bamboo Capital Partners. And I'm very excited to talk to you, to talk to your story. You recently did an interview with uh, Duke's Copy TV as well. And um, I saw some really great nuggets there. So I'm very excited to do this interview with you as well. So thank you, Florian, for being on the show. And uh, let's dive right into your story. So who's Florian? And uh, what's the story behind you and uh, your uh, journey that got me to where we are today? Well, I'm born in the southern part of Germany in Black Forest. Grew up at the Swiss border. So... Um, when I moved there initially with my parents, I, you know, there's a story about because I was arriving in an area where they speak a different dialect, basically the Swiss German. So I had to learn the dialect, otherwise I wouldn't be there. <laughs> so I adopted as a young age, uh, adopted myself because I've been relocating many times in my life. At the same time also, you know, you have challenges. So when I was a kid in school, you know, my father, doctor, my mother uh, was a a teacher in a village, so I was kind of, you know, from the upper class and didn't speak the dialect, so I had a hard time with the boys and sometimes they were really physically, which led me to do judo. So I joined judo at the age of five and um, I cannot do things halfway, so I went the whole way through. I ended up in the German first division in the Bundesliga and the national team 15 years later. I went to a sports sporting school because sports was too dominant in the school side so that I could fit on both sides uh, until the age of 20, basically. And then at the age of 20, I was looking into in the boarding school. You know, I saw the cyclists. They were earning a lot of money. Tennis were earning money. But at judo, you had the nice trophy with nothing else left. So at that time, basically, I went to the military service. And I used that one also to basically, I seized sports. And I moved over um, uh, first, first to do my military service. And the military service was funny also, you know, I have vertigo. So that is, of course, obvious when you have vertigo that you become a parachutist. So I went to become a parachutist because, you know, there's a challenge. Let's tackle it. So next one. And then at later stage, I, um, you know, I never had any really music lessons or basic uh, uh, teaching about it. But I wanted to create a band. So I got some friends together. We created a band. And at the end, we were, had a band where we were playing you know, in front of thousands of people. Um, you know, you the carnival in southern Germany and Switzerland, you know, the big houses or some. Yeah. We were playing. And since then, this has been my passion music, singing, bass, contrabass, and a little bit of guitar. And that's basically replaced my sports activity before. And then later on, I went to the healthcare sector because I thought, you know, what professions could be interesting. And I was intrigued about marketing, not knowing what marketing really means at that stage, but it sounds kind of interesting. It sounds good. International marketing. And I was doing um, bachelor business administration, um, but also in parallel, it's a dual system, then entering the healthcare industry. And also in the healthcare industry, I was always um, looking, you know, 
how much more can I do and how much more can I help? So I really was focusing a lot on business development side, initially sales, product management, business development, but then I went, I was sent very early on to Mexico. In Mexico, there was a, there was a joint venture going on with a Mexican partner. There were certain issues. So I was sent there to basically, you know, see how things go and decide whether we keep that one or we get out of the joint venture. So whether we buy it, or we sell it. At the end, we decided to buy. Yeah, so that was part of the process of, a, of the first early deal I was involved in. Uh, later on, I moved to the US, and then I moved back to Europe, always in healthcare. Uh, was on a business development side. We did some also technology spin-off and uh, some, some exciting stuff in parallel. Uh, and years later, I ended up back in Mexico, the same company, but now as a manager director. And then I was also uh, taking over the leadership in Latin America. And since then, basically, I moved from a big corporate life and said, what's next? Uh, where, you know, what could be fun and do something else? So I joined in 2008, in March, a late-stage startup. Probably the worst time, you know, for financing, period. Uh, we were burning, you know, a million and a half cash per month. Yeah, uh, we needed capital come in. We were supposed to, one big or the one U.S. big bank was about to, to join. And then that was in December 2007. And in 2008, basically, the bank was close to be bankrupt because it was the financial crisis. So we did um, <clears throat> a rough ride and restructured the company, building it further out. Uh, but also at the same time, we had chasing cash. Yeah. So we did a historical um, financial financing of the company. <clears throat> that was part of it because part of the capital I brought to the table. Um, and that was an, an early stage. Um, was at the end a good success and on the later on the, also the company got sold. And then I moved on and I did, uh, uh, created a biotech division for the Olympus Corporation in Japan. Uh, you know, also commercially set up and things. So this was a fun project really from initially proposing Olympus to invest in biotech and to acquire a division to then, you know, run it and execute it. Um, and then there was this, uh, you know, the, the group had a financial Turbulence and the stock exchange at that time was a lot under pressure and then basically they restructured and focused back And since then basically I left uh, big corporate and said enough and since then I do my own things. I have been in private equity <clears throat> I've done also some investments. I've led also some capital raises for some companies. I created a Consulting firm focusing on startups and turnarounds in the health healthcare life sciences until I met my dear friend, neighbor, and now partner, the founder of Bamboo. And he told me about impact investing. And at that stage, I did not really know what impact investing was. I said, there's, you know, you can invest, but what is impact? So he told me it's social impact investing. He said, oh yeah, philanthropy. He said, no, no, it's not philanthropy. And I had learned that basically you can focus and have a scope of doing good, investing in companies which are focusing on doing sustainable things and at the same time, the financial returns. And then if I saw that also that there are certain sectors because of my healthcare background, he said, you know, we have some healthcare exposures. Could you have a look at that? So I looked at the exposures and they were really exciting because it's a, it's a it's primary care delivery platform that we invested in, in India and also in Indonesia. And now thanks to technology, which is also the, my background of the things, you can actually scale. You can scale the impact and scale the financial returns. 
where maybe impact investing in the past has been more frugal technology for frugal population. So the financial returns were more challenging to do, specifically as we only invest in emerging markets, in companies benefiting the low-income population. But now when you take technology, you basically have a possibility, historical possibility, and that's maybe three, four years old, due to the cell phone connect connection of the population, then the mobile money wave, now the next wave is really to disrupt or actually leapfrog the electricity grid so that you don't produce, wire, and sell electricity anymore, but you really need to do, generate it on the spot. And that changes the life big time. So the exciting stuff is when, at the end, Jean-Philippe said, Florian, why don't you join? And I really invested and I joined full-time, left everything else beside. Um, to focus on technology leapfrogging poverty, energy, and healthcare. That's where we are today. And this is very exciting. Uh, it's a part, of, a part of the world, of course, I know emerging markets. I know technology and transactions. I know um, <clears throat> also the, the industry, which is actually very exciting because now industry, you know, we have more and more companies also doing strategic investments beyond their core business and looking also into how to expand their market. And here we're talking about uh, underserved population, basically half of the world's population, which in the past could not participate in the economy, mainly to two reasons, access and affordability. And technology results both of that. So at the end, what you're doing is a consumer financing mechanism so that you are, that they have the access to the technology, but also the price point to start climbing up the ladder. So it's an amazing effect. It's not an easy way, and again, it probably against all the common beliefs that people say you are in countries where um, compliance, you know, or crimes might be a problem. It is not really because we're not dealing with the government. We're just looking at a commercial base, you know, to support companies which have the right price point and use the technology to deliver and sell their, their goods and services. Now, this is this is really really interesting. I want to take a step back quickly. Um, and, and talk about this combination that impact investing offers, basically, because um, it seems like your entire career has been focused on um, industries, markets, areas, things, um, ventures that do some sort of good. You know, it's not just about the commercial side, but also it's not just about philanthropy in a sense or charity, but it has also been commercial in, in most settings. So this, this, um, it, it feels like you've been an impact investor your entire career already by investing your time and money as well into ventures, into things that have these combinations of doing good and also being commercially viable, so to say. And it seems like now you, you just mastered this, um, which is now impact investing, basically. And of course, uh, your main vehicle now, which is Bamboo Capital Partners, um, what do you, I mean, what is it really about impact investing? You know, this, this combination of commercial viability, so to say, and the actual social impact. I mean, what is it really that drives you in this area and has driven your entire career to be based more or less on this area? Yeah, it's a, you're making a good, good analogy here. Um, and indeed, yes, looking backwards, probably my main motor and my enthusiasm of, you know, take, tackling challenges and doing things, wanting to, to make a difference was really about, you know, how can I ensure that what I do is what I like, not to earn money, 
because yes, you earn money with it if you do it well, but really you have others benefiting from it. Yes, and that, that, that's probably you absolutely right. And of course in healthcare, it's, it's the nature of the business because I was intrigued because it's helping patients. Now, <clears throat> you know, when you live in, I've lived 10 years of my life in emerging markets. Yeah. Um, I've created a foundation in Mexico, for example, we did also extramural surgery programs in the jungle, you know, where uh, we, of course we were from industry were providing the material. And there were certain moments where uh, we actually recognized that it doesn't help just to give away something because you feel good because I have it and I give it for free to you. Because at the end, you create a void where somebody sees what exists and then suddenly it's no longer there because it's not sustainable because it depends just on somebody providing it for free. So let's say it's a little bit the credo of you say, but by saying is don't give people a fish, teach them how to fish. But again, I'm not just teaching them how to fish because it's not me. I'm providing them the money so they can have a business, a fishing business, so that they, when they fish with that, they're not only eating, but they're also making a business and selling of it. Um, and that's probably, that's impact investing. So for me, it was very natural when I knew about it and when Jean-Philippe said, Florian, join, um, because you can really help here. There are skill sets which are fine. And this is also where our products have changed from the pure blind funds, you know, in a very early stage where Jean-Philippe really did a lot of risks of testing private equity in frontier markets in different sectors. We see now which are the sectors which really, you know, where industry can follow. So it's becoming a real business. But also at the same time, um, <clears throat> when you understand that these people, it's not that they don't want to pay. They can pay. And usually they pay more than we pay for a product just to get certain things. Uh, and technology suddenly resolves that. So... For me, the driving point was really this one. You know, when I look back at the, at, uh, the extramural surgery program we were supporting from an industry perspective in, in, the, in Chiapas, La Sierra La Candona, you know, for the indigenous people. And there was one case of a little, little child, Clifflip, who was operated, went well, we all felt good truck goes off and I was there because I was invited to be there. So I spent 10 days there. And then next year the truck goes back, same procedure. And the child was no longer there. The child died. Why? Septic reaction, no doctor, no pharmacy, nothing. You're in the jungle. And this is when I recognized it's not enough just, you know, to pile money and be happy to give it back. The only way is to invest in a regular way, in a sustainable way and to drive profits because that creates wealth. And I believe now you see the millennials, and this is actually beautiful because millennials are driven by purpose. They know they will make money. They're not worried about the money. They want to make a difference. And that leads now that there's a huge, you know, it's, it's become a big theme. You have the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 ones, which are being embraced by more and more industry. Now you have big funds, you know, also creating impact investing themes now. And again, impact investing can is a little bit of spread, but also the impact investing industry is becoming much more mature and has, having much more defined and clearer metrics, how you measure the impact. 
Yeah, so that you can really say, you know, they can make sure that you're doing what you want to do, not just using an SDG label. Um, and that basically leads to a huge momentum. And then if you look at Singularity University, and I, you know, I'm, I'm honored to, to one of the events we're doing in Geneva here at the end of April that I will, the deep, I will run the deep dive session on exponential energy, actually, um, with some examples of the companies we've invested in bringing the entrepreneurs in. Um, and when you look at what they say is that the future of companies is data and customers. Everything in between can be replaced at any time. Now, if you look at data, data can be, can be used against or in favor of you. Look at the scandal at Facebook now. You know, is it me controlling my opinion or is it Facebook controlling my opinion, you know, so that I respond, I react. It's a big dilemma. And we actually, there we have a specific session on AI for good, which is driven by the UN, driven by the ITU. So we have panels, and I'm steering a panel there where we discuss specifically that AI for good. Because data, or AI in general, uh, big data might be a threat for the Western world because it cuts food chains, but it's a blessing for the emerging worlds. And these, these you know, the, the big researchers on these topics, they actually predict that, and actually I believe that so, that, you know, demographic and economic changes will be, be very major. So that since I think a year or two years ago, for the first time in the human history, we have more people living in cities than in rural areas. And that will be reversed. Because you can do business wherever you are. You, you, you don't, there's no disadvantage to being, you know, to being outside of a city, thanks to technology. And the second thing is also that might then also change migration. While the rich countries, the developed countries have major changes going on and you know, jobs being cut, things being obsolete or shifted, companies running out of business and others being created, you go in an area where it's just, you just leapfrog. And that might actually lead then that people will not move towards the developed countries, but away from the into the developing countries because the possibility for you to make more business, you know, and become wealthier is there easier and faster than it is in the old ones. So those are the topics where, back to your question, I say for me, my main driver is to do good, to make a difference. So the day I part, you know, I've done my portion to help the planet and help the people. And of course, it has to be profitable because otherwise it, it, it will not last. It's so interesting. I mean, it feels like, uh, you know, there's, there's different, there's different of layers or different levels of impacting and they have to do with leverage a lot. I mean, let's go back to the fish, right? You could, you could um, basically uh, give somebody a fish, right? That would be sort of like um, pretty much no leverage. Um, then you could teach somebody to fish, which would be already a lot more leverage, or you could basically provide the platform that teaches them to fish which is ways more leverage. So there's sort of like three, maybe there's more, of course, but three is always a good yeah, number. Yes, and again, make business out of it. Exactly. Because fishing provides you a living and not just food. Exactly, exactly. So this is really a, it's a whole other layer in impact through impact investing of leverage. So I find that incredibly fascinating because of that commercial 
viability as well. Uh, it's a lot more scalable that way as well as a, as a, as a methodology, as a technology by in, in, in and of itself, uh, yep. which is, I think, why it's picking up so quickly now. I mean, it's sort of almost become a buzzword, just like digital transformation, right? But um, if you look at the core of it, it's really, uh, it's really just, uh, it, it, it's, it's there because of all the changes in our economy, in our society, and also in technology that enabled this to work so well. So going a little bit into the present, right, present, presence right now, what are some of the, or maybe the one or two most exciting things you're currently working on that you're currently involved in? So we uh, at Bamboo, we focus on financial inclusion. So initially it was helping non-for-profit lending institutions to become regulated banks. Um, and that in of geographies where it's of course challenging, just geopolitical or, you know, or country by certain challenge. But that actually worked quite well. It's not a very lucrative business financially at that time. Yeah, because it was not technology driven. It's people and doing things and organizations and, and to have them become regulated banks. This is now accelerated by fintech. So we do much more fintech investments. So we do the ticket sizes smaller. We go earlier in to help them to scale because you can accelerate to bank unbanked people by technology. So it's consumer finance. Yeah, it's not only providing micro, let's say the $500 to $1,000 to a micro entrepreneur so that he can, you know, scale up his business. This is really now going from B2B to B2C, thanks to technology, very exciting stuff. The second, and we're always talking about the same population, whether it's Africa, Asia, Latin America, they have the same problem, access and affordability, full stop. The second part is very exciting is um, access to energy. Within the access to energy, we're focusing not really on the off-grid solar energy. Of course, there is 1.1 billion people without electricity at home. And they all have now smartphones, not smartphones, they have cell phones. They cannot use smartphones because they don't have electricity to charge the phone every day. This is why they have the feature phone for a week and then somebody picks it up, charges, they pay for it. They pay more for the charge for the other time. And that's being changed now to you know, off-grid solar or solar home units, which are connected and AI-driven and serviced from a distance. The workforce in the village on that, the individual units are automatically up, you know, the charge algorithms adjusted, messages to be sent if the panels have to be cleaned and stuff. So it's very, performance is measured every day, wherever you are in the world, um, through a cloud-based platform. But therefore, this is just the entrance because at the end, you're providing a, smart utility grid. Now you can extend that from, from the energy side which is because it's rooftop powered. It's really telecom because it's TV and internet, Wi-Fi yeah, adding on it. At a price point, it's because it's all financed. Yeah, it costs mobile money, $2 per week paid or by SMS. Um, and, and now you can go into LPG gas stoves. You can go into water, water supply. But then you can really go on you know, financial services, uh, wallet, uh, mobile wallets, um, insurances, you know, micro lending, B2C again, where you are we're crossing back into the, so it's, it's an incredible movement here, huge growth, huge market opportunity. Um, that's an access to energy. And the third one is access to healthcare, which takes a little bit longer. And that's also being disrupted because or we leapfrog there basically because there is technology today which replaces the need for labs, the need for specialists, 
And it's really just a patient touch point where it's a pharmacy, a GP, all technology driven, you know, point of care technology replaces the need for a lab, the digital or let's say uh, telemedicine, teleradiology, the need for specialists, you know, so that the GP, the doctor itself, can very quickly see this, the health status of a patient. But that's just to start with. Then you come really into predictive uh, and you come into preventive medicine in consumer behavior, you know, changing the consumer. So if somebody has diabetes, you know, just by changing the behavior, the lifestyle, you know, you have a higher quality of life and it goes longer is one of the examples. So that's what we're looking at um, a platform also we're investing in the scaling platform is on access to healthcare, where, of course, the e-health, digital health, big data is a big component of it. That's interesting, yeah. Because it's it's getting you back into where you started, also in healthcare. It's uh, it's it's a very right. interesting cycle as well. And uh, I mean, it's 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 very interesting because you're really working on this third layer of leverage on all on all fronts, which is this 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 platform. Really, when we go back to the Fisher and the Fisher, it's it's really really interesting because you're you're sort of like you're you're really investing in this in this highest point of leverage. And also, you know, with, with emerging economies, um, that's, that's also a topic I want to quickly talk about because maybe sort of like it transitions us into this future conversation because sometimes like when I go to, you know, when I travel in emerging economies, it feels like, um, you know, compared to our country, Switzerland, right? Um, they're, more, they're more advanced in technology than we are in a very developed country like in, in Switzerland. And, um, you know, um, also impact investing is sort of like not... Um, not something that's been around for uh, ages. So where do you feel like impact investing is going in the next couple of years? So um, as sustainability is more and more in the focus and people are getting in, you know, having, there's a certain awareness being created through the sustainable development goals on one hand. On the other side, as we also see that global warming effects, you know, uh, overpopulation. So there are natural catastrophes which are stronger and stronger and more and more there are. Um, and then also, uh, you know, injustice because now the poor people understand how the rich live because they can see it live online. You know, that creates frustration. So there's also this risk of, um, you know, people getting aggressive because it's unfair. Uh, so there are a lot of tendencies here which are very, let's say, dangerous and can harm quality of life, quality of planet. And I think this is, you know, because of, this is where um, impact investing uses general ways, normal ways of how you invest, how you measure it, what you, what you expect from it, but with a social scope. Yeah, on a sustainability or environmental uh, focus. And this is where now these big giant platforms also, in, you know, even the big funds are now raising huge amount of monies, uh, focusing on sustainability or impact investing. So that impact investing is moving from a asset style in the past, more niche markets, more, you know, kind of wilder things where you go out there and you try to do good and, it's really moving to an asset class. And in the past, the impact investors, you know, have, have been from the financial world also being rather been seen as tree huggers. You know, you are philanthropists, 
you know, want to do, want to make some money, or, or you had the philanthropist saying, you impact investors, you are really the same sharks as others, just to disguise themselves a little bit, uh, you know, in a social way. And I think this is clearly proven that it's wrong. This is, there is place for philanthropy. There's certain areas and certain things you will never make money with, but you have to do it. Um, and then there's, of course, the, you know, the, one, the ones only chasing IRRs, you know, their financial returns. And then there's a movement, you know, you can see that with the B Corp, you know, benefit corporation tendency, even in Switzerland being discussed, if this is a legal structure which can, might have certain tax optimizations or, or stimulations, so that the society, the company is not only focusing on financial returns, which you have to, but also, you know, what are the social returns you, you deliver as a B Corp? Um, and you can see that this is getting bigger and bigger. So from the overall investing volume, you know, the pie is moving faster towards uh, impact investing. And if when people now then understand that actually sustainability can drive your profit, it's not that sustainability has a trade-off on your financial returns, but it actually can drive your profit. And specifically because consumers like millennials just don't want to do anything else, you know, or want to buy anything else, whether it's the organic food and you have a higher price point, yeah? Then you have to, of course, discuss whether it's really organic or not, or whether you move into some other, um, some other fields like, uh, you know, healthy cities and those things. So therefore there's a real market, there's a demand. Um, and therefore I believe this is a, it has a very exciting future with major growth. It's really interesting. It feels like uh, we're getting close to that tipping point, um, like, you know, because it is a movement and uh, there's a tipping point usually between it's still acceptable versus it's no longer acceptable. Like the, the, the status quo is still acceptable versus it's no longer acceptable. And there's sort of like that a tipping point that is crossed when it's going from acceptable to unacceptable in society, in, in public, in, in certain stakeholder groups and things like that. And it feels like it's, it's drawing very quickly towards that as well because policies are already changed because of movements like that. And uh, many, many things are adjusting. And now what you talked about is basically um, sustainability is the driver now for profits versus the trade-off, which was before the thinking, right? Now mm -hmm. it's suddenly the driver because of everything changed. You know, generations are changing, cultures are, everything has changed to a place where it's getting less and less and less acceptable. And it's, there's no way to change that. It's just the evolution of humanity as well that drives that change. And I'm, I'm very fascinated by that um, because every time that tipping point is, is, is hit, basically you know, the whole waterfall comes down basically. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited about, you know, this, this future as well, uh, about impact investing and where things are heading. So I really appreciate you, you know, being here and sharing the story of impact investing as well, your story and uh, these golden nuggets and insights into how this thing works because most people also don't really exactly understand what is this thing really because it's still fairly new. So Thank you so much for being on the show, Florian. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for being on the show, Florian. My pleasure. Really pleasure. And uh, glad to inspire, hopefully, some people to do something different. And looking forward to getting in touch with Kindred Spirits. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? 
then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.